Get ready to rumble. Chilling Show Unleashed on the Seven Thunders Media Network. Former city councilor, husband, father, and community watchdog. Your host, Rob Schilling. Welcome to the Schilling Show Unleashed podcast. Remember, your direct support makes our show possible, and you can directly support this podcast by visiting shillingshow.com and then clicking on the Patreon banner at the top of the page to make a monthly contribution. We appreciate your support. The Schilling Show Unleashed podcast welcomes Joe Gazzardi, Progressives for Immigration Reform, and there's so much on the table to talk about regarding immigration. Joe Gazzardi, welcome back to the Schilling Show Unleashed podcast. Thank you very much, Rob. Good to be back. So we have uh, what you call an America last policy going on when it comes to H-1B visas. Tell us about this program. Uh, when did it begin under what pretense? Well, the H-1B visa started uh, in 1990 as part of the Immigration Act of 1990. At that time, the president was George H.W. Bush, who, like his son, was uh, very much all into uh, more immigration. So uh, there were a bunch of employment-based visas that were created through the Immigration Act of 1990, but certainly right up there among the worst were the H-1B visa, because basically it ended up displacing white-collar U.S. tech workers under the guise that these foreign-born tech workers were absolutely essential to the survival of the various companies that called on them to work. Originally, That was the theory, and 30 years later, they're still making the same argument that it's absolutely essential to get more foreign-born workers over here, the the majority of whom come from India and China. Yeah, help us to understand how who's benefiting here, because sometimes people may not see the direct connection and why something so illogical is happening. The people who benefit, there's, there are actually two groups of individuals that benefit. Number one, the employers, because the wages that they pay to the foreign-born workers are lower than they would pay to American workers. And a little talked about factor is that the employers control the workers' visas. So the visas aren't actually I- issued in the employee's name, they are issued to Microsoft and Facebook and eBay and and whoever else. So the employer controls the visa, and unless the employee completely toes the line and does everything that the employer asks of him, it's possible that the uh, employer could go to the Department of Homeland Security and say, hey, this guy is not doing the job. You know, he's uh, not complying with the tasks that he's being assigned, and I want him deported. So that is a threat that is constantly hanging over the employee's uh, head. And the other group that benefits are the foreign-born workers, 
you know, all of a sudden they go from uh, uh, working in India to coming to the United States where they are, unless there's some kind of malfeasance on their part, uh, where they will be for a minimum of six years. These are issued for time periods of three years and then automatically renewed for another three, by which time these guys, these workers, international workers, are on their way to uh, citizenship. So they, they are very significant benefiters. And the losers are the Americans who studied uh, engineering, who graduated from good colleges with degrees, who are experienced, have skills, and all of a sudden they are not only fired, but they're fired and told, by the way, on your way out, you're going to train this new employee or you're not going to get any benefits. It's very awful. It is, frankly, unthinkably awful. And there have been multiple cases where this has happened. I guess the most prominent is probably Disney, but I could name many, many others. Southern California, Edison. There's a long list of people who have, of employers who have abused the system and who have treated their employees terribly. Yeah, this is a terrible story. And I'm wondering what, what happens, what becomes of these individuals, the U.S. tech workers, when they lose their jobs? Are they just leaving the field? Or are they getting employed at a substantially reduced rate in another job subsequently? Well, both. You know, many of them leave the field because there is kind of a, they're kind of blackballed. You know, the employers don't want to hire American workers who have been fired because that sort of shows that, well, hey, wait a minute, you've been telling me for all these years that uh, we need these foreign-born individuals to work uh, at our corporations, but now you're hiring uh, Americans, so what's up with that? That's bad. You know, they, what happens to them is all of a sudden, you know, they're 40 or so years old in that kind of range where they're maybe middle management or perhaps upper middle management, and all of a sudden they get the boot, and okay, well, they have mortgages to pay, they have kids in college, they have other obligations. So it's all of a sudden they have to figure out how to cope when their incomes are basically cut off. There's never any any talk, Rob, you've been following this immigration uh, situation for a long time. Yes. And there's never, ever any talk about what becomes of the people who are fired. I mean, that's a really serious, devastating thing for uh, skilled workers. These are white-collar workers. So I'm curious, and maybe you know the answer to this question, but have any of these individuals been called to testify before Congress? In other words, are there any advocates within the system who are saying there's something wrong here and we've got to hear the stories? Has that happened? There has been congressional testimony, but like most congressional testimony that argues on behalf of Americans, it doesn't go anywhere. It doesn't do anything. Usually when there are uh, witnesses, you know, there's almost always two that are pro-immigration and one that is uh, standing up for American workers. Technically, they have a voice, but their voice is drowned out by the others. And, of course, it depends on whether or not the committee is made up 
of uh, mostly Republicans or mostly Democrats. Although, I have to say, you know, the Republicans have not done any better at uh, controlling the H-1B visa abuse than the Democrats have. Administrations from both sides of the aisle have continued to neglect cleaning up the H-1B visa. You know, Trump did the best, tried to make some uh, changes, but of course it was completely uphill for him all the way. So what is the resistance? Help us to understand, is this a, is this a globalist push and there are people in Congress who are primar- primarily focused on globalism? Why couldn't even Donald Trump get something done substantially? Well, it's definitely a push for globalism. No question about that whatsoever. Trump, you know, he, wanted, he tried to make some uh, changes in identifying, uh, for example, making the system by which H-1B visa workers are chosen based on skill instead of the lottery. I mean, if you can imagine <laughs> the uh, H-1B visas who come to work in the United States are chosen by a lottery. Wow. So, you know, you don't really have any idea. It just becomes, it's become ingrained. I mean, it's, it's ridiculous. It's completely preposterous to say for 30 years, oh, you know, we just can't make it without more foreign workers. And it's, it's insulting for the Silicon Valley and similar types of employers to say, well, you know, we can't make it because they're swimming in money now. You know, they have, they have more money than they can spend in a, a decade. Joe, when they say they can't make it, are they saying they can't make it by paying prevailing wages? Are they saying they can't make it because there just is not enough availability of U.S. tech workers? Well, a little bit of both. I mean, they're making the argument less now about not being able to make it financially. But at one point, that was a strong part of their argument. And it has been consistently stated by the employers that, you know, Uh, These individuals, these foreign-born individuals from India and China are highly skilled workers, tremendously talented workers, when, in fact, the American workers who had to train them as part of their uh, package or one of their obligations was to train the new workers before the, the new workers started their jobs, they have consistently said, you know, these guys... Don't really, these guys meaning the new, newly arrived international workers, they don't really know much of anything. You know, they have limited skills. It's become ingrained, as I said before, we're going on now more than 30 years of this. And there has been a lot of uh, research done by what I would call nonpartisan individuals, newspapers, individuals like Jimmy Carter's labor secretary, who have said, hey, you know, this is a big scam. This H-1B visa is a great big scam, and it's hurting American workers. I mean, it's clearly, clearly hurting American workers. But that's all, that's all become now certainly part of Biden's administration. But again, I'll point out that it was the same under the two Bush presidents, Every single president has pretty much turned his back on making significant changes to the H-1B visa program. Basically, what they should do is eliminate it. Now, just eliminate it, and if there comes a time 
when they can't, when uh, employers can't find college graduates to fill those jobs, then we can begin to talk about maybe bringing in some uh, international workers. But until then, the visas should be eliminated. The Shilling Show Unleashed podcast with Joe Gazzardi, Progressives for Immigration Reform, continues in just a moment. Associated Press award-winning journalist, Rob Schilling. Borderhawk.news is a one-stop shop with the latest news about immigration, nationalism, and globalism. The Borderhawk staff daily curates immigration news stories and, in the fashion of the Drudge Report, updates the site with cutting-edge content and original first-class commentary. Borderhawk.news highlights national and international media reports, tweets, and nuggets buried in local news blurbs, polls, video clips, and policy research. Borderhawk is pro-legal immigration, pro-rule of law, but against an unsecure border as countless Americans have suffered violence at the hands of criminal illegal aliens. And an increasing number of Americans are concerned about how mass migration affects their daily life. Borderhawk.news will remain on the forefront of the immigration issue with a buffet of info to read, evaluate, and share. Bookmark Borderhawk.news. Add them on social media at Borderhawknews on Twitter. We return now on the Schilling Show Unleashed podcast. Our guest is Joe Gazzardi, Progressives for Immigration Reform. I wanted to go to a very interesting column that you wrote about the White House and the media being corrupt, untrustworthy, and dishonest. I think a lot of people are starting to wake up to this, but what do you think is the leading factor here presently? Because they seem to be ignoring one problem and really focusing on another one that's kind of far away from us. Oh, yeah, terrible. I mean, the real story, the story, uh, perhaps the biggest story in American history, Rob, is what's going on on the southern border. I mean, it is just wide open to, I believe the count now is uh, individuals who have arrived from 150 different countries. Mm. Nobody really knows who they are. I mean, they may or may not have documents. The documents may or may not be falsified. They're put on buses. They're put on airplanes. They're sent around the United States. Nobody can say with certainty who these individuals are. And it's huge. I mean, it is a huge problem. Two million people crossed illegally last year were on target for another two million this year. Through the four years of Biden's administration, there would be, assuming each year is the same as the preceding one, there would be 10 million plus, you know, another million or two of what Border Patrol agents called gotaways. So that's not a story. I mean, it's a huge story. It gets no play, no play at all in the media. You mentioned, Joe, all of these countries, 130 plus countries coming from the southern border. My question is, how are they possibly getting here? Presumably, most of these people are very poor. I'm sure not all of them are. But who's transporting them to the southern border of the U.S.? That is a good question. I believe that there are probably uh, sources that get them, you know, financial backers that get them from wherever they live to Mexico. And then from Mexico, they're trafficked to the United States border. Some of them may have uh, some funds, you know, enough money to get from, I don't know, uh, Brazil or wherever it might be 
to Mexico. Definitely the whole thing is underwritten by wealthy people, uh, maybe Soros or Soros-type people, that get the illegal immigrants to the Mexican border where they're trafficked to the United States. I'd like to talk about the actual threat here because many people, and this is the, the spin of the media, hey, these are just folks. I've heard this, this word before. They're just folks coming here to work and better themselves, and they make great contribution to our society. I'd like for you to tell us why we shouldn't believe that and where the threat lies. That is, again, it's kind of like the lies that have been told about the H-1B workers to soften the impact of what's really going on. So the employers say the H-1B visa workers are talented and high-skilled, and that's a lie, right? It's also a lie when the media say that these are just folks who are here to, to work hard. Whoever they are, and if they're in the United States to work, they are certainly hurting American workers, whether it's low-wage, lower-educated uh, workers that are in, um, I don't know, hospitality, for example, or health care, something like that. Uh, or if they're higher skilled, they're displacing our uh, U.S. tech workers. So that is just not the case. We don't know who they are. I mean, mm -hmm. they may be just here to try to get along and try to get by, but there have already been some uh, apprehensions of people who were caught in criminal activity, and you just cannot convince me that with two million illegal aliens entering the United States every year, whose true backgrounds are unknown, that there isn't going to be crime committed. That's absolutely for sure. So it seems culturally that we have lost our ability to discern the difference between people coming here illegally, illegal aliens and American citizens, to the point where people that live here, where I live in central Virginia, uh, they, they make no distinction. In other words, if someone is here, if they got here, they're in free and they don't care if they're taking away something from an American citizen. How do we get there? Well, we got there... Over time, I mean, at one point, there was some real uh, resistance to uh, illegal immigration. And in fact, even Biden at one time had shown some indication of wanting to slow uh, illegal immigration because he voted in 2006 to uh, build the fence, you know. So I don't know, inertia, maybe just more and more people the media promoting illegal immigration certainly has helped uh, all of these uh, refugee resettlement agencies, the Catholic Church, the Lutheran Church, the inference that if you're opposed to illegal immigration, you're racist or you're unkind. All of that stuff rolled into one has put us where we are. The refusal, really of voters to wake up and make intelligent choices when they get to the polling place. So it's not a secret that some of these candidates are all in on more immigration, higher levels of legal immigration, and uh, tolerance for illegal immigration. It's equally clear that you can't have, and you just can't have these numbers of immigrants without doing some harm to American workers and the American way of living.
uh, a great percentage of the illegal immigrants who are coming to the United States don't speak English. They don't have any skills. What is going to become of them? Well, they're either going to take jobs, low-paying jobs that will deny that job to an American, or they're going to have to get dependent on social benefits. And the overcrowding that is going to result from this, you know, when people say to me, well, Joe, you know, it's only a uh, hundred Ukrainian refugees, or I'm sorry, uh, 10,000? What is the number that... A hundred thousand is what they're talking about. That's the last number yeah, I heard. hundred thousand. Yeah. Okay, so he's talking about a hundred thousand refugees from the Ukraine. It's not a hundred thousand refugees from the Ukraine because Princeton University has told us that each immigrant, as soon as they can, will petition three family members uh, still living abroad, okay? So all of a sudden, the 100,000 becomes 300,000. And then those individuals either marry and start new families, or they add to the existing families that they have, and you've got still more people. And you have this terrible chain migration effect that just goes on and on and on and on, and it allows more and more people to come to the United States. It's just amazing to me, even though I've been doing this for more than 30 years. It is simply amazing to me that Congress, that somebody in Congress doesn't wake up and say, wow, you know what? There's going to be a whole lot more people here, and it's getting a little crowded. Uh, take a look at California, you know, 40 million people there. Affordable housing is pretty much out of the question. I think I read the other day that the average sale price for a home in the United States is $500,000. Very superficial coverage. Okay, 100,000 Ukrainians. Okay, 100,000 Afghans. Okay, 2 million illegal immigrants. Well, that's a whole bunch of people that have to be cared for. They have to be provided for somehow or another. I just don't see how it's going to happen. Yeah, this is a big part of it. And you mentioned they have to be cared for and provided for. So all of us are paying for this. We certainly have our own needs in this country with our own American citizens, our institutions, our infrastructure. And yet we continue to take people on here in a way that was never acceptable previously. When you came through Ellis Island, you better have somebody who's sponsoring you, going to take care of yourself. Otherwise, you don't get in. Exactly. I see in the newspaper stories that say, well, polling shows that Americans are okay with all of this refugee resettlement and they're behind it and so on and so forth. But what I say is, okay, if you really want to find out how popular resettling Ukrainians or Afghans is, what I suggest you do is tomorrow morning wake up and go around your neighborhood and ask for contributions. Uh, mm -hmm. minimum contribution, $25 to resettle Ukrainians or Afghans. And see, at the end of the day, how much money you've raised. And my guess is that not a heck of a lot of money would be raised. But that's just my judgment. I mean, it's fine to say in a poll, uh, oh, yeah, we think it's important. Uh, we're all behind getting Afghans to safety and Ukrainians to safety and so on and so forth. 
But when it comes to actually doing something, whether it's contributing money or volunteering time or whatever, you know, you'll find that there isn't really that much interest in it, uh, at least any tangible interest in it. Joe, finally, what lessons should we learn from the Afghan evacuation, the flaws that have been exposed, and cautionary lessons on Ukraine bringing in 100,000 to start into the United States? The lesson is not to think of it in terms of 100,000 people, to take a look at it from the broader perspective, which would include chain migration, and then what's going to happen to other variables, schooling. I mean, the children will have to go to public schools. There'll be more strains on hospitals and on health care. There'll be more people on the roads. There'll be more homes that have to be built. So it has a real longer-term impact than just to dismiss it by saying, oh, you know, it's only 100,000. I mean, we were talking about, well, it's only 100,000 Afghans, and then before you could blink, it's 100,000 more uh, Ukrainians, and all of this while the border is wide open and not even, not even a hint from the Biden administration that maybe it's time to think about doing something to uh, end uh, this flow or to slow down the flow of of people. Instead, he's he's doing the opposite. Biden wants to stop Title 42, and he wants to, I guess you could say, deputize Border Patrol agents and make them immigration judges so that they can grant asylum on the spot. I mean, first of all, totally illegal, completely illegal. Okay, if uh, you get asylum, then benefits start, the most important of which may be work permission. It's far-reaching. All of these things that are sort of superficially reported by the White House or the uh, pro-immigration press have much more far-reaching effects than they would lead you to believe. They don't want you to know the truth. That's for sure. Joe, if people want to get more information on the work you do at Progressives for Immigration Reform or read your work online, how can they do that? Go to the website pfirdc.org, pfirdc.org, or you can find my columns on Substack, substack substack.com. You're contributing a great deal to the conversation, and I certainly hope people are listening. Joe Gazzardi, thanks for joining us today on the Schilling Show Unleashed podcast. Thanks to you, Rob. I had a great time talking with you. That concludes another edition of the Schilling Show Unleashed podcast. Visit us online at shillingshow.com, where you can directly support this podcast by clicking on the Patreon banner at the top of the page and making a monthly donation. Your support is essential for the continuation of the Shilling Show Unleashed podcast. Until next time.